Yo, what's really good? This is your boy, A1 Hoops, tapping into your notification feed yet again with the next episode of the podcast. Now, let's just go ahead and jump right into it. First up, it's the NBA playoffs, y'all. First episode of the playoffs for me. And let's go ahead and just spit the truth. Let's talk about Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets. Let's talk about the whole series in general. Um, I'm going to just get right to it. KD has played the worst series of his entire career. Um, yeah, people can look at 2016 when you talk about the 3-1 lead that they blew, that he blew specifically, you know, because as the leader of the team, you know, you shoulder most of the weight. You shoulder most of the blame whenever things go wrong. However, this is worse. I don't think he's ever played a series this bad in his entire career. What he's been doing against this Boston Celtics defense is very reminiscent. I mean, I don't want to say it's as bad as LeBron in 2011, but this is his version of the 2011 NBA Finals. Um, just Let's just go ahead and read the numbers right quick. 22 points per game. That's that's not going to cut it for one of the best scorers in NBA history. Um, he's shooting 35% from the field. No, I'm sorry, 36% from the field. He's shooting. He has an effective field goal percentage of 40%. This is literally asinine. Like, there's no way this is acceptable. And coming into these playoffs, you know, the narrative around Kevin Durant is that, you know what, he's simply unstoppable. He can handle like a guard. He can pull up from 30. Um, The one dribble pull up, the two dribble pull up, you know, not to sound like BDS, but he pretty much had every single move or skill set that you could want, especially at that height. Um, And despite all of that, he's been absolutely terrible this entire series. Um, 16 points last night was it last night, two days ago against the Boston Celtics in a must win game. Might I add that was a game that you had to win because instead of being down 2-0, which, you know, that's possible to, to come back from, you're now down 3-0, something that's never, ever happened in NBA history. Um, so coming back down 3-0, that's, that's not something that's going to happen for you. So essentially, once you go down 3-0, you pretty much lost the series. So you mean to tell me? that one of the very best scorers in NBA history, some people call him the best scorer. I would never call him that, especially not after this series. But if you're supposedly the best scorer ever in a lot of people's eyes, scoring 16 points in a must-win basketball game in the part of the playoffs is unacceptable. Uh, 22 points per game for one of the best scorers ever is completely unacceptable. Matter of fact, let me pull something up right quick because I'm almost certain this is the worst playoff series the lowest scoring playoff series he's ever had. Um, his lowest, his lowest scoring uh, series was actually. Mm, he played two games against Portland in 2017. So, at any full series that he's played, at least three games, this is the by far the worst he's ever played in any playoff series in his entire career. He's never dropped fewer than he's never dropped fewer than 24 points a game in a series in a series that he's played at least three games in. That that's pathetic. I mean, there's really there's really no way around it. And it's not just Kevin Durant. We understand that the team outside of him and Kyrie Irving isn't the best. Not the best spacing. I mean, you have people like Bruce Brown taking shots. Um, I mean, Nick Claxton, who hasn't really played much this series at all. You have people like Seth Curry, who's been kind of inconsistent. I mean, Steve Nash. Yeah, he's a terrible coach who's definitely looking to get fired. So obviously, this is not all his fault. But to sit here and try to defend Kevin Durant at all is not the wave. Now, moving on to Kyrie. Kyrie played 
excellent in game one, dropping 39 points. It was a straight-up banger. He had a clutch three over, I believe it was Marcus Smart, to, to bring the game to a tie. But then, obviously, you know, we, we remember what happened with Jason Tatum at the other end. Um, he had a spin move on Kyrie, laid the ball up to win the game. But 39 points in game one. We knew, well, for, for the most part, we kind of figured he wouldn't do anything like that again in this series. But to sit here and put up 16 points, to sit here and shoot these awful percentages, no excuse for that. Um, and another thing, Steve Nash. The coaching is, is just awful. He's going to get fired this offseason. There's no way. Like, there's no way he, Steve Nash is still employed by the end of this postseason. Or, I'm sorry, by the start of next season. There's no way. My man's is literally going to be at the unemployment office because it's just not happening. Um, moving to the other side of the, of the equation now, the Boston Celtics, they're the real deal. Like, they started off this season horribly. I believe they were 23-24 and 24 prior to the All-Star break, and they just finished so strong. Um, Jason Tatum was also on a terrible start to, you know, begin the season, and he's completely turned that around. And I believe he's really making strides as a basketball player um, I think he's approaching superstardom. I think he has potential to be a top five player in the world. Um, and I think he's already a borderline top 10 player in the league. And it isn't just offensively. Jason Tatum is elite defensively. Jason Tatum has made Kevin Durant struggle in this series. Like, even in their one-on-one matchups. Jason Tatum is just becoming such an aggressive and physical man-to-man defender. And you just love to see that, especially from somebody so young. I mean, he's, what, 23, 24 years old? Usually young guys don't like playing defense. It's not until they're like 27, 28 that people start to really, really play D. But Jason Tatum is just taking such a stride defensively. He's completely elite. JB, elite. Marcus Smart, elite. This entire Celtics team is elite defensively. Um, one through five, their starting lineup, everybody can defend. They're switching. Um, going, you know, they're fighting over screens. They're rotating. Everything about this Celtics team defensively is firing on all cylinders. And this is not a team you want to see in a seven-game series. Now, people have strangely brought up, you know, you know, because obviously you know how LeBron fans are. LeBron fans always try to insert LeBron into like pretty much anything that not is that has nothing to do with him. So one thing that has been one thing that has been brought up is the fact that, oh, LeBron in 2018, you know, he beat those Celtics. You know, he he beat them in seven games just by himself, no Kevin Love. And they're, like, making this weird, like, assumption that the 2018 Celtics and the 2022 Celtics are the same. Like, they're not the same team, like, at all. Like, people keep saying, oh, KD couldn't even get a game, but LeBron beat the same team in seven. It's like... This is not the same team. The Jason Tatum we have now is like thousands of times better. In fact, if you were to just switch the Jason Tatums, if you were to put current Jason Tatum on that 2018 uh, Celtics team, the Cavs lose in like 5-6, if that. Like, this is not the same team at all. No, stop. <laughs> but that's how LeBron fans are. But uh, moving forward, I mean, I just I love what I'm seeing from Jason Tatum. He had a clutch game winner. The man is only 23, 24 years of age. This guy is truly the limit. I've been on his train since I want to say second season, third season in the league. I just I I know what I'm seeing with Jason Tatum. Um, he he has he has potential to be real special, especially on both ends of the court. Um, Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year, worthy player. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. He's already established himself as one of the very best guard defenders in NBA history. I mean, this team is really going places. They can easily make the finals.
Now let's talk about some other noteworthy playoff series that we have going on in the league. Let's talk about Miami and the Atlanta Hawks. Miami's firing out on all cylinders. I think we're starting to see that they're a real team. Um, In the middle of the season, when they were starting to catch their stride, a lot of people were saying that, you know what, they're not really that good. They're probably not going to get that far. Mostly a regular season team. Um, The defense that they've been playing on Trey Young has been nothing short of sensational. Trey Young, uh, in his last game, I think it was game three, game four, uh, he put up nine points, and he shot like three of 11 from the three-point line. Um, he had another game with about 11 turnovers, and he had another game where he scored. In game one, he scored single digits as well. Um, Miami's defense is just pestering. They switch everything, one through five. Um, but the main reason why Trey Young has struggled in this series is that they don't let him get comfortable with any one defender. There's no one defender that sticks to Trey Young for, for a long period of time. And what I mean by that is um, on one or two possessions, they'll throw Jimmy Butler at him. Um then out of nowhere, you know, two or three possessions later, they'll throw P.J. Tucker at him. Another few possessions, they'll throw a bam on him. You know what I mean? So they keep on switching things and giving him different looks defensively. So that way he's not settling in or getting comfortable with any one defender on him. And the, the reason why that works is because since he's a small guard, small guards are very shifty. If you keep switching defenders on them, they're getting used to different defenders. They can't really adjust because you keep switching and putting a different defender on them. And that's clearly had an effect on his game. Um, obviously we know that this Hawks team is not a hundred percent. Um, they lost Clint Capella to an injury, but I mean, to be honest, I don't believe anybody really thought this team would beat Miami in the first round, but the fact that Trey young has just completely come apart in these playoffs is really a testament to not only the defense of the Miami heat, but the coaching by Eric Spolstra. Um, he's just a coaching genius at this point. I think he's already established himself as one of the all-time great coaches in NBA history. And I know LeBron fans don't want to hear that because, you know, let them tell you, oh, Kobe and MJ had great coaches and LeBron didn't, you know what I mean? So um, he's really established himself as one of the very best coaches that the game's ever seen. You could probably make a strong argument that he's a top 10 coach ever, um, but I'm pretty sure top 15 is not out of the question. But this is this Miami Heat team, is just firing out on all cylinders. Um, when you look at somebody like Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler has had an X on, on his back the whole season, mostly by fans. People saying he's not that good, he's overrated, you know, just things of that nature. People like to talk. People like to make up their own narratives. Jimmy Butler in these playoffs is averaging 30 points per game. He's shooting 40% from three on four attempts, and he's leading the league in steals in the playoffs. Jimmy Butler is a playoff performer, ladies and gentlemen, and he's making up for the insane uh, disappearing act that he had last year against the Bucks. I don't know if y'all remember last season, uh, Jimmy Butler completely wet the bed against the Milwaukee Bucks. He had a there was a role player on the Milwaukee Bucks that outscored him for that series. Jimmy averaged like a cool 15, 14 points per game in that series. Um, he talked about how he was stupidly locked in before the playoffs began, and he completely just wet the bed and choked him and Bam, the both of them. So now we're seeing a new Jimmy Butler and a new Miami Heat team, and they're actually just so focused. They're so poised. They're actually locked in, and they're playing team basketball. And Jimmy Butler is actually locked in, but he didn't need to jinx himself by saying it. He's just out there showing the world that he is still one of the better players in the NBA. I would say he's a cool top 14, top 15 player in the league. 
but he's playing like a top 10 player in the league in these playoffs. And that's what it's about. When you're the leader of a basketball team, you got to set the example. And that's what he's done. And, I mean, it looks like the series is going to be wrapping up tonight. It's going to be a gentleman's sweep. I'm calling it now. Um, so, just great basketball out of Miami. Now, moving on, we're going to be talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Memphis Grizzlies playoff series. Um, this one's been one of the more equally matched, quote-unquote, series. And not because these teams are in similar calibers. Because I believe in any given night, you know, game in and game out, obviously Memphis is a better team. But stylistically, these teams mirror each other. They're both about grit, grind, you know, effort, defense, um, just high-energy basketball teams, both also very young basketball teams. Um, this series has been a banger so far. I would honestly argue it's been the most entertaining series that we've had in these playoffs. Um, but it's, it's tied 2-2. They're heading back to Memphis. I believe that the Memphis Grizzlies should win this series in six games. But here's here's my takeaway from this series. Cat is not that guy in the playoffs. He finally had a good game in game four at Minnesota uh, where he dropped 30 points and I believe 11 boards. Finally, for the first time. Um, the game before that, he took four shots for the entire game. Not a quarter, not a fourth quarter, not a few minutes stretch. He took four shots. What are you, like, what? Like, how do you take four shots as arguably a top four, top five center in the NBA? As one of the best players in the league, probably a top 20 player in the league. And you take four shots in the heat of a playoff game that you that you needed to win to go up 2-1. That, that, there's no excuse for that. Um, D'Angelo Russell has been super wishy-washy this playoff series. Anthony Edwards had a great game last last game that they played, which was, I believe, two days ago. Um, but as far as, you know, the, the team is concerned, Patrick Beverly also is having a great series as well. Um, but as far as the whole team is concerned, I do believe that they're in a bit over their head. But since they match up so well stylistically with the Memphis Grizzlies, that's why the Memphis Grizzlies have even dropped two games to begin with. You know, since they both play a very high-paced basketball um, they both play uh, a real, how do I explain this? Like a tough it out kind of basketball team. They're young, they're energetic. You know, both teams like to run up and down. So stylistically, they met their match. That's why they dropped two games. People can look at the officiating if they want. But for the most part, it's just been a grit and grind series. And that's what you love as a basketball fan. You love teams that are just battling it out, putting their heart out there, you know, diving for loose balls, all kind of stuff. Um, on the Memphis side of things, Desmond Bain is that guy. Um, he's it's like every single game that you watch Desmond Bain play basketball. Uh, that was a bar. Um, he's gotten better and better. He's getting better and better as a basketball player every single night. He's getting more and more comfortable dribbling the basketball, putting the floor, putting the floor on, putting the floor, putting the ball on the deck. You know, all he had a few step back jumpers. He's actually one of the few players in NBA history to make seven threes um, in back to back playoff games. Um, Desmond Bain is that guy, ladies and gentlemen, um, and. <laughs> the beginning of the season, he was pretty much not really looked at as somebody who would contribute on this level, but he has. Um, he's just a perfect running mate to go along with John Morant. Now, speaking of John Morant, um, some people have mixed feelings about his performance in these playoffs so far. You know, some people think he's been trash. Some people think he's been excellent. Some people, like me, are kind of in the middle on John Morant's performance in these playoffs. Um, I think his playmaking in these playoffs so far has been exceptional. 
Um, he's been creating so much offense for his teammates. The passing, it's all there. He had uh, 14 assists in his last game. Um, and he's just been doing such a great job at distributing the basketball. However, his scoring has been down. It's almost like his scoring has gotten worse in every single game. But in game one, he dropped 32-8. and eight. Um, But it was a little bit out of control. In game two, he dropped 23-9-10. and nine and 10. In game... No, I'm sorry. Game two was 23-9-10. and 10. In game three, he had a triple-double. And then in game four, he had 16 points. But... He had no, he, no, he had 11 points, but he had 15 assists. So as far as his performance in these playoffs is concerned, I don't know if we've seen enough to really say whether or not John Morant is a playoff riser or a playoff dropper. Um, obviously, we know last year in the playoffs against the Utah Jazz, John put on an absolute showcase, um, dropping 30 points per game, and he definitely looked like he was taking a leap forward, and that definitely has continued into this season. However, in these playoffs, it's kind of eh, like. There's not really a way to say whether or not he's been upping his level of play or if he's dropping or if he's staying about the same. Because, yes, his scoring is down drastically. But his playmaking, I would argue, is better in these playoffs than it has been for the most part in the season. Now, defensively, John Moran got to get it together. He's been getting cooked. Um, to start off that game three um, that they ended up winning... Um, he was just god-awful defensively. He stands really flat-footed. He doesn't get low enough, and he doesn't keep his arms spread out enough. And we saw Patrick Beverly in the first quarter get bucket after bucket after bucket. He he dropped a cool six points on John Morant, um, and which doesn't sound like a lot. That's like damn near in a man's career high. But when you're letting Pat Bev let you up, drive by you, blow by you, get to the basket and finish, you know you're doing something wrong. But um, as far as this series is concerned, I am looking for... John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies to move on in six. Um, and they will go on to face the, the Golden State Warriors in the next round. Now, next up, let's talk about the Phoenix Suns um, and their playoff series, but just the Phoenix Suns in general. Um, I believe that prior to this playoffs, even beginning, I think most people would have said that the Phoenix Suns are probably the favorites to win the NBA championship. Um, they were the only team that was really consistent the entire season. And they ended up finishing off with a record of 64 and, what is it, 18 losses? Yeah, so 64 and 18. That's the most that the franchise had ever won in their entire existence. Prior to that, I believe the Charles Barkley-led Suns won 62 games in 1993, um, which was the most that they had won prior to this year. So 64 wins. Um, they were led, this team was led by Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Um, they were firing out on all cylinders. Great coaching in Monty Williams. Great death, Cam Johnson campaign, DeAndre, DeAndre Ayton. Um, this team was just a well-oiled machine, and they were just ready to take off. Now, in game two of this series, in a series that was looking extremely one-sided, this Pelican team, as of right now, is sitting 2-2, tied um, against the Phoenix Suns. But prior to this, we thought this was going to be the easiest sweep. Like, if you had to call a sweep in any one of these playoff rounds, you would have said Phoenix and and, uh, and New Orleans because there was no way this series should – they shouldn't even won a game, and yet they have. But um, in game two, Devin Booker gets hurt. He hurts his – he has a grade one hamstring strain, um, and he's looking to miss about two weeks. I just want to say something. Now that the series is tied 2-2, if the Phoenix Suns go on to lose and get upset by the New Orleans Pelicans, 
that might low key be the biggest upset in NBA history. Like maybe. It, it, I don't know. I you know, maybe I'm speaking, you know, too soon. Um maybe I haven't thought enough about it. I believe 07 when the Mavericks lost to the We Believe Warriors team, that might be a bigger upset. You can look at the 2011 playoffs when the Grizzlies beat the San Antonio Spurs in the first round. That could also be seen as a as a pretty large upset. Uh, the Knicks beat in Miami in the first round, I believe, in back in 1999. That can also be seen as one of the hugest upsets ever. But um, this would definitely be up there because even without Devin Booker, this team is deep. This team is well run, well coached. There's no way in hell that you know Chris Paul can end up losing this series. Um, he should still be able to lead them past this team, especially how he's been playing. I mean, he, I believe he only has like four turnovers for the entire series. Um, he's averaging like 25 and 13 on like 60% true shooting. Um, Chris Paul is just an absolute monster. We we always talk about the longevity of LeBron James. You know, we kind of credit him all the time. Look at look at LeBron. He's 37 years old, averaging damn near 30 points per game for a season. We're, we're quick to harp on LeBron for his longevity. When's the last time you heard somebody talk about Chris Paul and his longevity? Because he's a year younger than LeBron. He's 36. And he's putting a 25 and 13 in the heart of a playoff series. Are you serious? Like, that isn't talked about enough. Um, once Devin Booker gets back, I legitimately don't see a team in hell that can beat this team um, four out of seven, like four times in, in out of seven games. I don't think it's happening. The best chance would be either the Warriors out, out west or Milwaukee out east. Uh, I don't see any way in hell that this team loses. I believe that they're the favorites right now. You can bookmark this or record it, however you want to do it, you know, to come back at me if I ended up being wrong. But as it sits right now, um, once Devin Booker gets back, they're, they're looking to face the Mavericks in the next round. Um, Luka, Luka just came back. Even with, despite all that, I don't see it happening. I think the Phoenix Suns are about to be the 2022 NBA champions, um, and it just ha- has yet to be seen. But with that being said, that was the episode. That was episode 49 Um, I hope you guys have a blessed day. Thank you for all your support, and um, I'll catch you next time.